Good morning. It's good to see everybody here today. I love that song, man. Jesus set us free. Hopefully you've been set free this morning from your sins. If not, you're in a good place to hear how to be. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 13, if you will. And uh, as you're doing that, I say again, thank you to our guest for being our guest. And uh, we um, have been going through this study in Acts, the first church, gleaning from them. Last week we saw uh, something, again, another important point. Each one I think is important. Uh, it said that sincere unity is always a prerequisite for the Spirit's movement in and through the church. And so uh, we've got to make sure that we are trying to do everything we can do to preserve the unity of the Spirit. That's what we're told even in Scripture, to make every effort uh, to preserve the, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so uh, we saw in this first church, specifically the church of Antioch, there were some leaders there, five specific elders that were all together in unity, and they, together in unity with the church membership in unity, uh, saw the Holy Spirit do something very clearly. Again, there was a surrender to the Lord, there was a submission to the leaders, and the result was not only that unity that comes from the Spirit, but also clarity. He said, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them to. So again, a very clear calling out, a very uh, clear sending out, a very clear voice of the Holy Spirit. And it was, it was in and through the unity they had as a church. And so what we were talking about is how that applies to us specifically. We're talking about it's hard to criticize when you yourself are sincerely connected to and contributing to the church. It's hard to be sitting on the sideline and saying, well, the church should be doing that and the church should be doing this when you're not helping at all. Now, it's easy to do uh, in, in the flesh, but when you are connected and you're contributing and you're absolutely invested, it's hard to be that critic. It's hard to be the one on the sideline. You can't, I, I don't believe that you can, can do that uh, because when you become a critic, you no longer are a contributor, you are a critic. And so when, whenever you have a teammate that's on the team that is criticizing other teammates or criticizing the coach, uh, it's, it's divisive. And eventually not only division, but destruction will, will result. We talked about armchair quarterbacks, if you were here. Uh, it's, it's so funny how we can sit and watch football games and tell the coaches and tell the players what they should be doing or what they did wrong or what they should be doing better when we're not even on the team. <laughs> we're, we're, we're sitting on our, in a recliner, we're sitting on our couch, we're sitting in a chair. Maybe we're sitting in the stands at, a, at, a, at the stadium, but still, we're not on the field. We're not a part of the team. It's so easy to criticize and not be a contributor. Uh, but again, when a teammate becomes a critic, when a, when a contributor becomes a critic, just know that destruction is coming. It's, it's, if you've ever been a part of a team, if you've ever been a part of a, a specific, a specifically a championship team, you know that there's not a place for criticism of each other. Now, you may uh, hold each other accountable, absolutely. There's a difference between accountability and criticism. And that's exactly what we saw here in this first church. There was accountability, but there was unity. And so when we move forward this morning, I want to make sure that we understand this great unity and team mentality that the leadership had. They were together. They were all in it on the same page. And with that unity and with that, that, that mentality they had, they laid hands on Barnabas and Saul, the Bible says. They sent them out for this mission that was very clearly of the Spirit of God. And so I want to pray this morning, jump in, and see exactly what we can learn 
in the next few verses. Father, thank you so much for this, this time again. Thank you for what we've already experienced today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for moving in this place. And again, the songs we've been able to sing and rejoice in, uh, to praise you in, being set free, uh, the fact that you are worthy, the fact that you make a way. God, all these things that we've, we've said and we've done, I pray that they brought glory to your name. And now as we turn to your word, I pray you continue to speak to us or continue to work in this place. Lord, as we prayed, if there's somebody here that doesn't have a relationship with you, they're not 100% positive heaven's going to be their home. But I ask that you would Lord, show them today in your word how they can do that, how they can know that heaven will be their eternal home, how they can have that personal relationship with you. And I pray that not only would you show them, but they would accept it, or they would turn away from their sin and turn to you in faith and be born again. Lord, we ask you to just move now in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 13, verse 5 is where we pick up. It says, when they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. Now, if you've been here along the way, you know we've already made mention of this, this man, John. We've called him John Mark. He's also known in Scripture as Mark, uh, the, uh, the person who penned the gospel of Mark is who is understood this to be. He's also, what we have learned, Barnabas's cousin. This is somebody that was a family member to Barnabas, two of the elders in this church of Antioch that were being sent out. This guy was somebody they brought back from Jerusalem. And if you remember uh, along this way, we met him. His mother was hosting a prayer meeting for Peter when Peter was on death row. He gets released from prison shows up at John, John's mother's house, and that's where that, that crazy lady Rhoda, I'm not saying she's crazy, but she kind of went out of her mind, uh, said that Peter's at the door, and they called her, you know, you, you've lost your marbles again. Um, but this, was, this is the same guy. This is the same person. So we know that this, this, this man, John Mark, and I, I just want to make a couple mentions. Why, why, why don't I just call him John? Why don't I just call him Mark? Why I call him John Mark? Uh, the Hebrew name typically was the first name, and then a Greek name or a name of commerce known in the business world would be the second name. So John was his Hebrew name. Mark would be his, what would be known as his Greek name uh, or Roman name. And this is, this is this person. This person was faithful. This person was a servant. This person obviously was someone who was proven enough for them to say, hey, we, we want you to come from your home, leave mama's house, come with us, and go back to Antioch. God's doing a work there. We need more helpers. We need more laborers. We need more servants. And in the process of, again, this unity and this prayer and this fasting that was going on, the Holy Spirit calling out Barnabas and Saul, when they determined, okay, we, we, we need a team. We need to get going. we got to go and do what the Spirit's calling us to do. One of the people they looked to was young John Mark, this, this man who, again, had been a servant, obviously, had obviously been proven enough to say, we not only want you to leave your home in Jerusalem, but now we want you to leave the church that we brought you to in Antioch and go with us to places unknown. Go to places that are unreached with the gospel. And so again, this is who they talked, with, uh, talked into going with them or who they were, were led to take with them. So they leave Antioch, the Bible says, they go to Cilicia. Now, this was, so, uh, I'm going to try to do this backwards. Uh, I was going to put a map and I didn't put a map, but... Um, Antioch was in the northern part of Israel, all right? Israel, you know, is on the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea, a small sliver of land. So the northern part of Israel, 
uh, towards the coast is Antioch. That's where this church was. Now, if you go a little bit um, southwest from Antioch, you reach Seleucia. And this is the port town where they sailed from. So they go to this town, they get on a ship, and they head to a little island that's not far off the shore of Seleucia. They continue going southwest down to Cyprus. They hit this island, and the very first city the Bible says they hit is on that northeast corner of Cyprus, and it's Salamis. And I want you to notice again in that verse we saw, they began to proclaim the word of God first in the synagogue. And why I think that is so important is this has been God's plan. This is what we'll see eventually. If you study Paul's letters, You'll see this is what his mandate was. This is what his call was to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. They get to this first town and the first thing they do is do it exactly God's way. And so what we see again is another submission to God's ordinance. That they could have been, look, we're out of the church. We're away from the leadership. We've been sent out. We've been ordained. We, we are supposed to go on our own way. And they could try to figure out and do it their own way. But they say, you know what? We're going to stay submitted to God's way and God's mission. And that was get the gospel to the uttermost part of the world, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Again, we'll see this in, his, in these missionary journeys we'll study. We'll see this in his letters that he would write back to these churches. And I'm, I'm going to say this not to knock modern church planning efforts because there's a lot of great church planning efforts going on and not to, to knock any mission efforts that are going on out there because there's a lot of great missionaries and great mission works going on in our world. But we live in a different time. We live in a different time where... Uh, we don't necessarily go to a town and there's a synagogue in that town like there was in much of the world at this point in time. And so they, it may look a little different because of the culture, because of the way the world is right now. And while we don't have the details of the hour by hour and the, and the day by day uh, workings of this, this missionary team, our first information that we have on this trip is that they were on mission. They were submitted to God's way and they were on mission. We could say that they were focused on the main thing, which again was getting the gospel to the uttermost part of the world. And that is point number one in our notes. It's vital that we keep the main thing, the main thing. It's vital that we keep the main thing, the main thing. So what is the main thing? The main thing is getting the gospel out. The main thing is something that Jesus left to all of his followers when he left this world. Get the gospel to the uttermost part of the world. That's the mission. I'll say this again. I've said it many times. I'll say it again. This is why you and I as children of God are still on this world, this earth that's riddled with sin, that's riddled with hurt and confusion and, and death and, and discouragement and disease and famine and, and all these things, suffering, pain. This is, this is why we're still here. Why would God save us? Love, us? love us with a love that we can barely even grasp. I mean, it's hard for us to grasp the kind of love that God had for us and that he sent his only son to die in our place on a cross that we deserve to die on. 
that's hard to find. That, that kind of love is the kind of love that God loves us with, enough to die for us. So why, if he loves us that much, would he save us, make us righteous by the righteousness of Christ, and then leave us here on a filthy, unrighteous, wicked world full of pain and suffering and death and disease? Why would he leave us here? It's clear to be the light. He said that in Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does it make sense that anyone lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, they put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. And that way, he says, let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The mission, what we say the Great Commission, that he gave to his people, the church, Matthew chapter 28, go therefore, in light of the fact that all power in heaven has been given to him, we are now commissioned to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded us, and lo, he said, he's with us always, even to the end of the age. So we see these men who could have done their own thing, who could have got distracted, who could have been like, well, this is a different world. While we've been in ministry, Paul and, uh, Paul and Barnabas have been in ministry for a while now. John Mark been in ministry for a little bit. While they could have said, okay, man, what are we going to do? Okay, we're going to start making some relationships, we've got to make some connections. While they may have done that, again, we don't have the, the details, the day-to-day, minute-by-minute details. The Bible is very clear, and I believe what God includes in his word that has been preserved for us today are very important things. The very first thing we see they did when they got to that town, what's been preserved for us, is they went to the synagogue and preached the gospel the very first thing. They kept the main thing the main thing. But look what happens in verse 6. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Pappas, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet actually, whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul. The guy's name was Sergius Paulus, and he was a very smart man, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul because he heard what was going on. He heard that these men were speaking things that were supposedly of God, so he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, which is this, this guy, this Bar-Jesus, he the magician, magician, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So he didn't want, he had influence in this guy. This guy's been influential in the city, in the, in the, in the, in the island. Elymas did, did not want him turning to, to the faith of Barnabas and Saul. He did not want him turning away from having confidence in him as a false prophet. And so he opposed Barnabas and Saul. But look what happens. Verse 9, but Saul is also known as Paul, which along the way I've been saying that eventually he is the apostle Paul. This is our first time that it switches. And from this point forward, it's going to be called Paul. So he was known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him. And look what Paul tells this false prophet. Look what Paul tells this magician. He said, you are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? When will you stop trying to make crooked the very straight path of God? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and will be, you will be blind and not see, till the sun, see the sun for a time. And immediately after Paul said those things, a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Now again, this is somebody who had influence. This is somebody who had sway. He had connections. He was, this is what, how he got his living. 
all these things. Now he's in a helpless state, the opposer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when the proconsul believed, he, he believed when he saw what had happened, he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Again, this is something that God used, the works here, but specifically the Bible tells us that he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord, and that's what caused him to believe. Look what happens in verse 13. Now Paul and his com- companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga from, in Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. The word left them means deserted them. And we don't, we're not told in Scripture why John or John Mark deserted them here. We're not told why he went back home because, again, he didn't, he wasn't in line with the Lord at this point in time. Again, all the, all the Scriptures that we know, we, we understand that he was not in the right frame of mind. He was not in the right heart. He did not leave the mission work for the right reason, according to the Greek structures that we see. He deserted them, and he went back to Jerusalem. He went back to Mama's house versus going back to the church in Antioch that sent him out. Versus saying, all right, maybe there was something going on that John needed to report back to the church that was going on in the mission field that they need either help with, they needed more hands with, they needed to know these are the challenges they're facing, this is what we need to do uh, in the next leg of the mission journey. No, 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 none of that happened. He didn't go back to Antioch, he went straight back home because something was wrong, something was not right. He was not right, again, mind, heart, spirit, whatever the case may be, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now get this, this was right after They go throughout the whole island of Cyprus. They face opposition. They see victory, this this conversion of the the consul. And John leaves them. A lot of opposition going on there for Paul and Barnabas. And point number two is this. It's vital that we stay steadfast in the mission, especially when opposition comes. we know that opposition is going to come when we're trying to share the gospel. We know that opposition is going to come against churches who are dedicated to share the gospel. We know that opposition is going to come against churches that are determined to send out church planners and missionaries and be a part of the gospel work, the Great Commission. Opposition comes. Every, every, the, using the team illustration earlier, Every team knows that if you're going to win a championship, you're going to win it in the face of opposition. But it's those teams that face adversity and face opposition together and make it through it together that end up being successful. And I believe that's the case for churches as well. I'll say this too, and I've said it many times before. I believe our greatest opposition as American Christians, specifically American Christians, I'll put this in your notes. Number one is our own self. I believe, man, we get in the way of our own self so many times. So how are we our own selves? How are we our own greatest opposition? I believe it's because of our, our own mind and heart, right? Man, I, I want to share this with my coworker. I want to share this with my friend. I want to share this with my loved one. I want to share this with my neighbor. I want to share this truth, this gospel that transformed my life. But what if they say they don't want it? What if they, what if they, ask me questions that I don't know, and so I, I, I have this fear of being insufficient. What if they start throwing scriptures at me that I've never heard of before and I don't know how to defend it? What, what, if, what if they start making fun of me when I don't know what to say or I don't know what else to answer their question with? 
we can be our own greatest opposition when it comes to sharing the gospel. We've had people, many people tell us that they hear what we're saying, the gospel, but they just don't want it. They're just not interested right now. They have other things going on. We were sharing in our group last week, we even had somebody tell us that if, if the God that we are presenting to them sends people to hell who are good people, who don't murder anybody, they, they work good jobs, they, they, they take care of their family, they're good citizens, they, they're just good people, they take care of their family, they love people, they're, they're kind to people. If, if we believe in a God that, that takes people like that and sends them to hell, this is what the, the person said to us, then I would rather go to hell than believe in a God like that. We've had people tell us that they're not worried about going to hell after taking them down a, a road of, you know, if you were to stand before God on judgment and you admit that you were, you're guilty of all these sins and he were to judge you as guilty, do you think that you go to heaven or hell? And they very clearly said, I'm, I'm going to hell. And after asking them, well, does that concern you? Does that worry you that by your own admission, you're going to spend eternity in a place of torment that God has designed for his enemies, Satan and his demons, a place of eternal torment where there is no relief, there is no hope. Do you, does that concern you at all? And we've had many, many people tell us, no, not really. And man, I, I don't, no, that's scary. Well, again, we, we can be our own greatest opposition, but I believe number two is also a, a very important thing to acknowledge that is opposition in our, in our life and it's our own stuff. We are filled up with stuff, especially as American Christians. We have so much stuff. And yes, we have tools and things and hobbies and we have all this kind of stuff, but we gotta be careful not to make our stuff idols. And I believe that we as even American Christians can be a lot like the children of Israel who do make idols of our stuff. So much stuff to take care of that it keeps us from carrying out the mission. So much stuff to, to be thinking about and to be keeping track of that, that our mind goes to our stuff versus the mission. And that kind of goes into the num number three, our own schedule. Uh, because I believe that's in conjunction with our own stuff. We, we fill up our lives with so many things to do and kind of going back to our, our own stuff as well, you know, it can be people in our life. It can be our spouses. It can be our kids. It can be our jobs. It can be money. It can be the things that we want to do, entertainment things. We get so infatuated with all this stuff and so busy with all the stuff that we're, we have to do this well. I, I just don't have time to, to share things. I'm, I'm, I'm working and I can't do that stuff while I'm working. And I get home and my kids, we got this stuff to do and I got that stuff to do. And then I, I never have time to talk to my neighbors and just do this, that. We've got all this stuff going on. Never have time for anything else, let alone to think about how in the world I'm going to make time to get the gospel out to people. And that sounds very indicting. And don't have time to get the gospel out to people. And that's the whole reason why we're still on this earth as the people of God. Why do we really make time for the whole reason why we still exist? Again, the opposition that we face a lot of times is of our own making. 
our hope, our encouragement is not to, to go off and, and, and make this convent, these, live these secluded lives where we, well, so what do, you want, what do you think we're supposed to do with God? We're supposed to just leave our jobs, leave our homes, we all go live in one convent, live as hermits, don't have any contact, just reading God's word, singing praises to God the whole time. No, no, no. I believe the Bible calls us to live life on mission, live it on purpose. I believe God has given each one of us different abilities and placed us in different uh, neighborhoods, communities, placed us in, in different jobs with different abilities, with different neighbors and different coworkers and different families. Why? So that we will be the light, so that we'll be on mission in those areas. I'll, I'll never talk to some of the people that you work with unless they get saved and come to this church. I, I'll never, I might not ever talk to the people that you, you, you work with for or the, the people the customers that you come in contact with i may never talk to the people that you live next to again unless they get saved or unless have to visit them or unless something else happens but again you are seeing these people on a regular basis that's why we print tracks that's why we print invite cards that's why they're on that back table and that's why we have a weekly encouragement in every one of our announcements to be on the mission be a part, invite somebody. Look, you may not be sailing to some island that's foreign to you, rolling up in a synagogue and just boldly proclaiming the gospel to a group of people you don't even know. You may not be standing on some street corner with a bullhorn proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, there's nothing wrong with either one of those. But you can invite someone to church. You can, on a regular weekly basis, hand them a card that has the gospel presentation on the back of it. You can even ask them and go a step further and ask them to read that. You can go even further and say, have you done that? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? You can, you can do those things. Say, yeah, but that's what I'm afraid of. I'm going to ask them that, and they're going to say no, and I'm not going to know where to take them from there. Then ask someone. Be discipled. Get in our discipleship ministry. Find out what you need to find out so that you can have an answer for the hope that lies within you. If nothing else, you could point them. We have a website, a page specifically designed for that. You can say, you know what, I'll write this down for you. We look at it when you get a minute. You can do that to a waitress. Hey, when you get a break, will you check this website out for me? You can jot it down, tbtchurch.org forward slash heaven. It's a, just a gospel conversation. You can tell them, look, it's our website, but there's a page on there. tbtchurch.org forward slash heaven. You can live your life faithful, devoted to Christ. You can live it different from those who live in the world. You can live different from even nominal Christians. Nominal Christians are people who are Christians in name only. In other words, they, they go around life, living their life for themselves, living it for the world, but claiming that they are a, a servant, a child of Jesus Christ, but there's no evidence that they are. It makes a difference when you're steadfast in the mission. See, Paul and Barnabas were steadfast. Apparently it was too much for John Mark. Apparently the, the opposition the criticism, the sacrifice, the time, the labor. It was laborious. This was something that was very difficult. It wasn't easy. They didn't, I mean, other than Paul making tents and them working in other ways, that, that, I mean, they weren't like living a, 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 an extravagant life. They were out there on mission for the kingdom of God. And even when John Mark left them, 
they were steadfast. Paul would write this to the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. My life verse is verse 58. I love this verse. In light of the resurrection, in light of the gospel, Paul finishes this, uh, this last verse of this uh, chapter 15, says this, therefore, in light of all of that truth, in light of the fact that one day the Lord's going to come back and take us home to be with himself, in light, in light of the fact that Jesus Christ is the victory that we have over death in this, this, this body and sin, in light of all that, be steadfast, brethren, immovable, and always abounding, increasing, always increasing. Say, yeah, I'm doing enough for God. No, he says always abounding, always being fruitful and abounding, increasing the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil or your labor, what these guys were doing, laboring, it's not in vain in the Lord. Knowing that everything you do for God, everything that you are sacrificing and serving for the ministry, for the gospel work, is not in vain. And this is what it takes. It takes steadfastness. It takes commitment, not just for a pastor, not just for a missionary or an evangelist or a church planner, but for every child of God who's still on this earth, steadfastness in the face of opposition. And I would add to this layer of opposition, discouragement. Pastors know very well discouragement. Missionaries know very well what discouragement is. Evangelists, discouragement. Ministry leaders know what discouragement is. Paul and Barnabas, I believe Barnabas, maybe, maybe more than Paul, because he was a family member of John Mark, might have been discouraged. Maybe, maybe not discouraged, maybe they were just disheartened, maybe heartbroken, because John Mark deserted them. They just knew this guy was going to be a part of their team. They just knew he was, he was going to be instrumental, which we will eventually see he is. But at this moment in time, you got to put yourself in their place, their, their, their thoughts, their hearts. Man, they've been through it. They've, they've been sailing. They're tired. They don't have their own beds, their own homes to go home to. They don't have their families with them. They're out there. And now this guy who's supposed to be a part of the team, who's, who's given up everything to go with them, now he's gone back home, not back to church. Back home, he's done. We're not told exactly again what his reason was, why he left them, why he deserted them. But apparently, it wasn't fitting enough excuse for Paul to bring him along on the next journey, which we'll see. But I put this in your notes because I, I want us to all remember the importance of team and staying on mission, being steadfast, even in the face of opposition. It's disheartening, number one, when a team, may, team member bails. I, I don't know exactly what they were feeling, but there was emotion involved because when it comes to the next journey, there's going to be emotion involved between Paul and Barnabas. It's disheartening. It's, it's heartbreaking. It's discouraging when a team member, team member who's supposed to be on the same team, on the same mission, says, I'm out. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to serve anymore. I'm not going to help anymore. I'm not going to be a part of it anymore. I'm not going to be faithful anymore. It's disheartening when a team member bails. Secondly, it's disheartening when people aren't helping. 
When God has given us the breath in our lungs, has given us the, 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 the warm blood flowing through our bodies, has given us the bodies, has given us the opportunity. And in this nation, an amazing blessing of opportunity in this nation. And when, when a child of God who is supposed to be on the team, engaged in the mission, just says, I don't want to help. I don't want to be a part. Or even further than that. Number three, when people don't respond, when when it's preached and it's taught and it's even exemplified among the church, when the team is doing it, when people are engaged and people are faithful and people are doing it, but there are some who just seemingly don't even respond. That's not for me. Listen, we, we can make it about ourselves and we can make it about ourselves really quick. I don't want to. I don't have time. I don't like. I, 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 I. Instead of remembering that our lives are all about Christ and his mission. The Bible says that you are no longer your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are Christ. If you're a child of God, we're no longer our own. So can't we make it about ourselves? That's why it's vital to hold and esteem Christ, his will, his mission, as most important. To keep the main thing the main thing and be steadfast even when opposition comes. It's what helps us stay faithful. Galatians chapter 6 tells us not to grow weary in well-doing. I want to encourage you this morning. I don't know where every single person is in this place. If you have a relationship with the Lord, if you know 100% that you're a child of God, the reason why you're still here is to be on the gospel mission. I'm not saying to, to sail to Cyprus and to go into synagogues and preach the gospel. That was a very clear calling for those men, but their clear calling was in line with the great commission, the mission for the people of God. And you're still here, and if you're a child of God, then you are supposed to be on mission every day. We, we try to do everything we can do as a church to encourage, to facilitate, to, to, to allow every single member to be a part of the mission. We, we have, uh, again, cards, invite cards, tracks that you can take on a weekly basis and you can be engaged in the mission at your work, in your neighborhood, at restaurants you go to, people you encounter. Last night we were standing, this is not boasting, but we were standing in line at, at, at Andy's and there was a guy behind us and his shirt simply said this, it, it, it was so interesting, it just said, I know where I'm going dot 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 and he kind of turned to the side and i kind of i kind of moved to where i could see the back of it. i couldn't see what was on the back of it and i thought hmm. so i just asked him do you know where you're going or no i said where are you going and he looked at me and he was like and i was like your shirt says i know where i'm going and then he goes oh it's it's from baylor and i was like it was like a recruitment i guess or a you know he um went to school there or whatever like oh okay and then i asked him i said do you know where you're going and he he got really uncomfortable <laughs> he goes oh yeah 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 and uh and i said uh, so you've trusted jesus christ your lord so i grew up wrong i said so you've trusted jesus christ as your as your savior and uh he just tried to, to blow it off and stuff and, and i don't share that to again to boast but it can be everywhere it can be anywhere we just need to be on mission we need to stay steadfast in the mission. Keep the main thing the main thing. That's why we're still here. 
Do it when you're at an ice cream place. Do it when you're at a restaurant, your, your neighbors. And so, man, I just, I honestly, I know I'm too busy in my life. It really is the reality of my life. I mean, I go to work, and, and, and I can't do that at work. I mean, they don't allow us to hand things out. I have, I have 30 minutes for lunch, and, and I got to eat my lunch, and, and, you know, I can't talk to anybody there, and, and I get home, and, and, and I work 10 hours, 12 hours a day, get home, and we've got all this stuff to get, you know, dinner and, and house and kids and all this kind of stuff. Then no, no time for me to go out and do anything like that. Then it's bedtime, get up, do it the next day. And we have a day on Saturday that's just a sign, and it, it doesn't take, I mean, th- there's some people that said, man, we're only out there for 15 minutes. 15 minutes. And we're not going and, and, and knocking on people's doors. We're, we're delivering the gospel to people's homes, just putting it on their door. 15 minutes on a Saturday morning. So I can't go Saturday morning. I'm off on Mondays. Then get, get with Brother Turner, get with Brother Gary Bay, say, hey, I, I, could, I could go out on Monday mornings. I, can I just go put cards on, on people's homes then? Yeah. If you don't have any other time, any other opportunity to share the gospel with people outside of that, then, then you can do that. And groups are, are doing different things. Groups are doing different types of outreaches and stuff like that. There's ways that you can be a part. But that's why we're here. Let's be on mission. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. And even when the opposition comes, Let's stay steadfast. Let's stay, let's stay about it because one day the Lord will return and let us be those faithful servants found so doing when our Lord returns. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for allowing us to be in this place. Thank you for this uh, sermon this morning, the challenge to me, to our church. Uh, Lord, we, we admit and we confess and I pray that all of us would repent this morning when we get too busy for you god you're the one you're the one that fills our lungs you're the one that has given us the time on on this earth and we make it about ourselves we make it about our jobs we make it about our money we make it about our stuff we make it about the family you've blessed us with you make it about we make it about our entertainment we make it about all the stuff that we want to do when you're the one that has given us life you're the one that has has given us the time on this earth and it's supposed to be redeemed for you for your kingdom. And yes, we get to enjoy the blessings, that even the temporal blessings that come along with all of it. But we're never supposed to replace your mission and your reason for us being here with our own plan, with our own stuff. So Lord, we, we ask you to forgive us when we do that and help us never to do that. Lord, help us to always be on mission. Help us to keep the main thing the main thing. Help us to keep the gospel, sharing the gospel, the great commission, the main thing. And help us be steadfast, Lord. I know there's some in here that are just, they're so afraid of, of sharing the gospel or so afraid of inviting somebody because they're afraid of what might happen after that. But, or maybe somebody's here and they're afraid to invite somebody because they're not living the life they should be living as a testimony. And they're afraid of being called a hypocrite. Lord, I pray that you would help us to all get together, to all be on the same page, to live for you and to be on mission. Lord, we ask you to move now as we respond to this message and just be glorified in our response in jesus name amen if you'll stand as he sings